Hey, this is Ashlyn, former co-host of the Top 10 Recovery Podcast, The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert. I have had my challenges, but I am also living proof that joy is possible, even when life does not go as planned. I'm excited to share with you real examples of living a life full of adventure, true healing, and freedom, no matter how messy life gets. Each episode, I will introduce you to someone I love and respect to talk about ways to be the buffalo and to face your storms in different areas of life. All right, I have Dallin Brunn with me today to talk about mindfulness and the spike narrative in our head. So Dallin is someone that I know, I don't even know how long I've known you, but we used to live in the same neighborhood. And then I met him at a, at auto recovery where I go to therapy because he was teaching mindfulness. And I took a mindfulness-based stress reduction group class that really changed my life. And so I wanted to share his teachings with you because I want it to radically change your life. (laughs) So Dallin, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you and then how you got started into mindfulness. I think I got started into mindfulness the way most people do. It's similar to what you just described. It um, wasn't necessarily something I was seeking out at the time, um, but um, something prescribed to me. I was a student at BYU many, many years ago and wasn't at the time very capable of understanding why I wasn't feeling so well. Uh, I I think I grew up in a sort of therapy averse culture and had a lot of shame. I had to be pushed, you know, almost to the brink. I think a lot of people uh, can relate to that, but anyway, their, uh, you know, mental wellness department at the university prescribed mindfulness to me. And I think like many folks out there, uh, I didn't really know much. Well, it was so long ago, I, I knew absolutely nothing. But I was pretty shocked when I got into the room and we were engaging in this mindfulness thing pretty traditionally, which isn't as common anymore. Um, but like sitting on the floor, cross-legged, uh, at like, you know, when it was imported from these monasteries in the East, that's the way they did it. So initially that's the way we did it, but it's evolved since it's much more, uh, relaxing, I think in a normal chair to do mindfulness anyway. So I was shocked. There was this weirdness to it. (laughs) Um, I was also extremely skeptical. I'm like, we're going to, we're, we're going to sit in silence. This is your strategy. Like I, I, my life is in shambles. Like I want to be like, I don't want to hear all, all the shambles in my brain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, I want to run away or be given a pill or taking, you know, given an exact list of what I need to follow. And instead the instructions are extremely simple. Let's, oh, let's man. sit down. Um, let's be with ourselves in, in a particular way. Uh, We'll sit and see what it feels like to be open and non-judgmental and uh, curious. And over time, I, it, it actually didn't take long for me to click. It was 
uh, I was required. Well, I was, it was a prescription for a, a semester, which is about, you know, four months, four and a half months. And about midway through, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is really, really fascinating that there's so much of my experience that I am um, ignorant of so much vital information. And I guess what you're calling it the spike narrative, which is this cute name your daughter gave it, but wow, it, it feels apt because uh, you can't sit for very long before you realize there is a stream. Uh, narrative is actually the word most commonly used, even in the scientific literature, there's a narrative going on. And we're usually so close to it, like one-on-one, -on -one, like we identify as that narrative so closely. It's not even, it's mostly subconscious. Um, and then one thing that mindfulness can be helpful with among many is to back up from that and start to almost uh, experience it or watch it like you would be sitting in a movie theater and just kind of watching your own mind with this distance that feels safe and an understanding begins to arrive that's very helpful. Um, and I, I think the proper word for the, the fruit of doing that is wisdom or self-understanding. Self uh, so as that uh, arrives and comes online, um, it can be very helpful for someone that was in the situation I was in. Um, uh, so anyway, that was what brought me into it. And I became just floored at the time in our Valley. There wasn't, this was like the only expression and it wasn't even called mindfulness necessarily back then. That's a word that's become popularized in the past 15 years or so. Um, and so I just re-enrolled. I had, <laughs> and it wasn't allowed. I wasn't supposed to. I had, I had to come in and say, you know, I have, you know, extreme amounts of stress. And then they would let me back in. And mm -hmm. I started coming in so often that I made friends with the two or three faculty practitioners. And they started letting me in and and then finally, uh, they kind of invited me to travel. I, I needed to get outside of Utah and um, even outside of the U.S. Uh, to really experience mindfulness in a traditional sense. Um, and then after doing that for a while, I enrolled in one of the only universities at the time to have a program for mindfulness instruction. And that was UMass Medical School. Uh, so, so there I got a certification to teach mindfulness and this course that I, uh, you know, it wasn't our initial meeting, but it was nice to see you guys there. Uh, and it, it's called mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, and currently still teaching MBSR, still teaching mindfulness in the Valley, in the community. And uh, at present, I'm in a master's degree for marriage and family therapy. Which is awesome. I did not know that until five minutes ago, uh, but it all makes sense. And thank you for sharing that. I just, I love the idea that it's not something that you even knew about or were seeking. It was something that found you mm -hmm. and that really spoke to your soul. And for me, I remember Amy Andrus, my then therapist saying, Hey, I think you should take this course from Dallin. 
and I had been doing yoga and, you know, doing all these other things and thought, one more thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's a two and a half hour class once a week for how many weeks? 12, eight, eight, eight weeks. And then it finishes with a half a day yeah. silent retreat, right? No looking at each other talking. Mm -hmm. We ate in silence, all this, you know, it's so uncomfortable. Right. And right. how on earth am I going to do that? Maybe mm -hmm. we'll skip that part, but I'll, I'll go to the classes and the best part for me was that first class of, um, I remember when I started doing yoga and just being told you have to do it this way and you need to breathe this way and you're not breathing right. And you're not holding this pose, right. And it just felt so restrictive mm -hmm. and it didn't feel like what I thought yoga was. And so when I went to your class and it was like, Oh no, just be here, like sit, however you're comfortable and breathe however you're breathing mm -hmm. and the thoughts are going to come and just let them. Mm -hmm. And it was like, wait, what? You were giving me the acceptance that I didn't realize I needed. Mm -hmm. And so as small as that may have been for you, it was big for me. Cool. Yeah. And so the interesting thing is I get a lot of people who are asking, you know, how, how have you figured out your, the way that I live my life now? And is crazy it is. I think this is a huge part of that journey mm -hmm. that I haven't given in a lot of recognition to because I just do it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I forget that I didn't used to live this way. Mm -hmm. I wasn't self-aware. I wasn't zooming out. Like you said, giving your space, you know, so that I can look at what's going on within me with grace, acceptance mm -hmm. and love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't do that before. And when you say subconscious, it very much was for me. I remember thinking, especially when I was younger, this voice in my head that was feeding me a lot of, um, negative things about myself, telling me how dumb I was or, uh, feeding me excuses. You know, you don't have time for those things. Um, it's just the chatter, the brain chatter. I had a lot of it and a lot of it was negative. I thought I was crazy mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. when I would take time to recognize it, I'm like, what, why, where does this voice in my head? I must be crazy. So when I started to learn about and separate this idea that, Hey, these things are just narratives. It's not necessarily truth. Some are based in truth but it's just feeding me a lot of chaos mm -hmm. and unrest. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the mindfulness for me became that grounding where I could just be like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. I can find peace even inside my head right. with all that chatter. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you can imagine, uh, I mean, you spoke, you, you, you mentioned the word crazy. And if you can imagine, like, what if you identified with the headline news? You know, I, I, I'm sure we all have sat in front of a headline news, even if we're at the doctor's office, you know, if we, we turn it off at home, but we, it is just full of fear and, uh, ang I mean, it sparks a lot of anger, but it's, it's messages like chaos, ah, craziness. Uh, but now imagine a scenario where you are identified with it. Like, 
the stream coming from this newsreel isn't just this, uh, you know, these, these people giving the newscast. You actually believe it is you. Yes. And I think it took me doing mindfulness to realize that actually is the case. It was the case for me. Uh, you know, I started practicing maybe early 20s, maybe 24 or so. And what the, the, the real issue is, is that's happening and we're not capable of understanding that we believe it as ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just being way too close to it. And so craziness is not uh, far off. In fact, it might even be accurate for a lot of people to um, experience life closely identified with the interior thought stream, at least for the modern adults. It can, I mean, even kids. So um, it was, I, I would say that probably the primary reason people feel uncomfortable when they start practicing mindfulness is it can be shocking and uncomfortable to see that. Mm -hmm. It can be a very bright mirror that we've been avoiding for a long time. In fact, most of our, most of our coping mechanisms are just things to help us, help defend us from looking at that mirror. And uh, you know, that's, that's really why when you, when you start practicing mindfulness, there's an, an invitation to sit still um, there or even silently for a long period of time. It's so that you can become familiarized with this. Um, but then maybe coming all the way back around to where, where you just started this conversation, that's not where we want to stay. It's almost like uh, analogously what training wheels are to a bike. You want them off pretty quick. The bike ride is, would be analogous to living life mindfully just as it is, just as it is. You can't, and then the training wheels are to help you understand how to engage the mindfulness uh, way, the mindfulness way. So you gotta, you gotta kind of learn with these training wheels. And then maybe as you get the feel, you want, you want them off. We, do, we don't live life cross-legged in a corner you know so learning to be mindful while you're washing the dishes or having a conversation or when you're upset about something having some mindfulness through there for um, those situations is incredibly helpful okay i love all that and it makes sense to me but i don't know that the listener might okay. know what that means so yeah. can we take one of those ideas and kind of I, I give it to break it down for them to see what that could actually look like in everyday life. Sure. Which point do you think we should? Um, maybe dishes. No one likes doing the dishes. Oh, I see. Okay. So this, this would be like, we could categorize formal meditation practices, which probably, you know, people are at least somewhat familiar mm -hmm. with like, uh, you know, sitting or doing yoga, walking meditation, body scans, things like that. That would be formal meditations. But then you, I always encourage my students um, to develop their own informal practices. Now, the best way to sort of start doing that would be 
things that you do on a regular basis, but that um, you don't need too much thought and you don't need too much. Um, uh, it doesn't take a, you, there's it's muscle almost, memory. Like it's almost like a routine. Yeah. yeah. So showering. Exactly. Like lo- showering. Showering is mine. Commutes are really good. Uh, washing the dishes, showering, mowing the lawn. Uh, I don't know if you, if you have like an art that you really love sketching, even reading or um, knitting, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just taking a routine and sort of turning it into a ritual. And that's the difference in those words for me. It doesn't, mean, doesn't necessarily need a religious connotation, but it's making uh, something normal or uh, habitualized into something special at the same time. And it's not really, you know, it's not about washing the dishes better in a better. Now they're, now they're cleaner. Hopefully you've already got that down. You know, the idea is what does it feel like to be mindful with that? Mm -hmm. And what you're tweaking there is the quality of the experience is now, uh, or, or it can become something special for you where you're maybe listening to the chatter in the mind or you're allowing it to be there with the dish you know the dish ritual if we want to call it that um or you really just want to feel the sensations and see what it feels like to interact with water and the motion of your hands and you know the blessing of cutlery and plates and and modern plumbing and things like that it can enhance you know because often when we have an an automated um, task like that, we just go into autopilot, mm-hmm. forget everything. And we're, we're usually in that subconscious stream of thought. And so, yeah, we turning those into mindfulness exercises is a really good suggestion. Okay. Yeah. What I also find is something you taught me as well, where I've heard this a lot where people are like, I'm trying to practice mindfulness and then I get bombarded by these thoughts in my head. And instead of just pushing them away and trying to silence them, just like, okay. So my, I'm thinking of these things for a reason. They're either bringing me a lot of stress and I'm avoiding mm-hmm. or whatever. And so giving space and time for that, I find a lot of solutions to the things that are stressing me out or giving me worries when I take the time to just let them in my head. Mm, yes. Yeah. I um, definitely recommend that so long as it's coupled with another suggestion. And usually you can use these in tandem. And one is just as you described, but I would give a, maybe like a, a step A and call that step B um, or not so much steps. Let's just call them options. Um, you might check in with your current thought stream and you probably know this before you even check in whether whether or not you're safe with what's going through the head because you know a lot of a lot of times in life we find ourselves in situations where even with all the mindfulness lights on we don't want to be uh, in the current thought stream and especially when you're starting it you you there's um, an importance um, maybe a stage of tolerance before you can even get to a point that you're describing. So, uh, you know, option a would be 
seeing what it feels like to intentionally remove your attention from the thought stream to something that feels safe. Um, now, more than likely, it's not going to work very effectively. The, the thoughts will bugger in no matter what, but it can give you just a reprieve. And even if it's momentary, uh, it can feel very, very nice. Um, and that's usually breath meditation. And this is like the most uh, commonly prescribed initial uh, meditation. And the reason is, is breathing is usually soothing, not only uh, placing your mindful attention on it, but physiologically it calms the body down. So this is a good recommendation. And just see if you can like count your breaths to even five mm -hmm. or even 10. Then that just that little space can feel nice. And you might just have the uh, availability now to be just maybe open the latch and be like, okay, now I'm going to see what it feels like to let myself, let, let my mind be a mind mm. and, and try to back off from judgment of whatever may flow through. And for me, practicing this, and I, I would be interested to hear what it has been like for you, but I went from my mind being enemy number one. Mm. Like I, I, I need to stifle this in order to heal, in order to feel better mm -hmm. to nowadays. It's just like my mind is this really overactive Labrador that just <laughs> wants to like run and fetch things and then, you know, bring them to my lap and has its tail wagging so fast and just wants a pat on the head. Mm -hmm. It just wants a smile of approval and then darts off. And most of the things it's bringing me are useless or even like negative or judgmental. Mm -hmm. But I understand this is the nature of my mind. This is the nature of my little interior Labrador and I'm happy with it. So there's, there's grown not only a tolerance, but a sort of like loving connection. Yeah. So. See, I love that because a lot of my audience can be similar to me and have that PTSD from betrayal trauma. And that's actually why I started your MBSR class was to, to move through that and to start to separate the voices in my head, because some of those were sending me down a path of hypervigilance, mm -hmm. control, um, detective work, yeah, things that were not making me feel good, but I felt like they were bringing me safety, mm -hmm. like safety seeking. So for me to learn how to separate that voice in my head, the spike narrative, what we're calling it was a huge deal. So yes, I sometimes forget to go way backwards and I go to where I'm at and no one knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So thank you <laughs> for, for separating that for me to be able to do that, to recognize, like you said, and also recognize that I will still have these thoughts come. Mm -hmm. And that it's normal and that acceptance rather than what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so, I'm so terrible at, I know better. I have a lot of girls who get there. They learn all these things in therapy, in group, we get this skill set, we become mindful. And then here we are beating up on ourselves still saying, I still reacted. Mm -hmm. I still showed up poorly, or I still listened to that voice in my head that was sending me really crappy messages. It's just a lifelong practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I think the way our, our thoughts come and the way even it changes our behavior 
is glorious and um, something you can expect putting the work in for this. But this is less about a modification of thoughts and behaviors and more of a perspective shift. And you mm -hmm. just voiced that by saying, you know, you could, you could, you could have a perspective that these thoughts in your head are uh, extremely damaging and they need to leave. Or like you just said, you know, these thoughts were coming, the intention of the thoughts were for my own safety. Oh my gosh. Even though they're telling me to do this thing, that's probably not effective anymore. You know, it had my safety in mind. And, and that's the mind is just a giant supercomputer for yeah. our survival. And I think me being able to see that these thoughts that might be judgmental or negative are actually like natural and well-intended, that's the perspective shift. Mm. And it, it, that perspective shift can sort of provide a space between the reactions of the body and behavior. You know, so like if those thoughts come in and we're highly reactive to them, well, then we can notice adrenaline uh, increased in heart rate and maybe our behavior might change. Whereas mindfully, oh, the thoughts come in, they're just kind of like, yeah, that's a crazy thought. And you just kind of smile and be like, it passes out like a bird. And uh, you may find yourself more, less reactive and more responsive. I love that. And you make it sound so easy. And now everyone's just going to do it, right? <laughs> I wish. I wish it was that easy. Um, do you ever not react well? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I, I've long since dropped the notion that this is some form of perfectionism. I, I would definitely say mindfulness has helped me be happier, more loving, a better dad, a better friend, a better partner in so many, you know, it'd be hard to list the blessings that have come, but also there's, you know, just part of being human. I think, you know, the fine print of being human is we'll always have and make mistakes and have things to overcome. And this is a growth process. So honoring that rather than just becoming increasingly frustrated that, gosh, darn it, I have a whole decade with this and I'm not like, levitating in the clouds yes. with the God. No, it's not. No. I mean, if anything, those little imperfections, as I was just describing my, my brain is a Labrador, those, you know, if I blurt out, you know, some curse word over something I don't agree with, there's almost an instantaneous like smile of like, oh, that's, that's that, that little, you know, imperfection of mine. That's makes me, me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I hope that people are really hearing this, go listen to this again, because yeah, you're not going to get it by listening to this, but maybe it will help you see that there is something out there for you to take on with mindfulness and that it's not as hard as I think we make it up to be. Mm -hmm. Um, like you said, we don't have to go sit in a corner on a, on a pillow. Now you, I have gone to yours and when you're not teaching it, even the Sunday, meditation group. It's 30 minutes of just silent meditation mm -hmm. in a room and a group full of people, which it sounds kind of silly. Sometimes when you, when I try to explain it to someone, they're like, why are you going with a group to just sit there and be quiet? Mm -hmm. But it works for me. Mm. Uh, sometimes I want guided and you're great at guided. You did a lot of guided in our course, the MBSR course. Um, other times I just need 
space to be in my head mm-hmm. and to just feel. And so I love that because there's been times in that class where uh, one time I showed up in a dress, <laughs> I got stood up on a date and was like, you know what? There's this class. I know about it. I'm totally not dressed to go. I was wearing a, a skirt above the knee, like not super easy to go sit on the floor in it. But I also knew I needed that time to just go be in my head mm-hmm. and to honor myself and the way that I was feeling right then and to move through that. And for me, that was the perfect spot. And um, when I showed up, uh, one of your teachers was like, did you just come from church? Like, why are you here dressed like that? And I hadn't been at church, but it was a beautiful, one of the most beautiful experiences for me because I wasn't planning on going, Mm -hmm. but I needed that. And I just laid there on the floor and cried and it was, I needed that to, yeah, I just needed it. I think for, um, you know, a group meditation is there's nothing uh, necessarily mystical about like why we do that. In fact, if you think about anyone trying to do anything um, in the, in those initial stages, support is almost vital. And, you know, it's, it's almost, it's, it has a negative connotation when we use the word peer pressure, but think of that positively when you, you know, come with, together as a group for a singular purpose, somehow it's really effective in helping you. So um, for those interested in mindfulness, but sense its difficulty, um, which would probably be true of trying anything new, Mm -hmm. um, I would seek out a group, a group that meets regularly and hopefully is free and, or, or at something affordable. And the, you know, function will just be to help you uh, have that support to get going. I, for me, that's why I've kept up these groups for so many years. Um, I, I love getting the new people who've come for the very first time and have an interesting experience for them. And, uh, so that's, that's probably its primary function. It just helps individuals when we come in groups to do something. Yes. I love that. Um, okay. So tell me, I said, I came for recovery work from betrayal trauma. That's why I was in your course, Mm -hmm. but I know that there was a lot of people in my group who were not in the same boat as me yet. They were there. And so I believe there were nurses, there were doctors, um, like CEOs. It was a very diverse group, but high stress jobs. Okay. Yeah. And so what does a client for you look like who is taking these MBSR groups? Yeah. Um, it, it, Again, it's it's the common story that most people come to mindfulness. Um, uh, it's usually something prescribed. Um, oh, oh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a doctor. In, in many cases, it is. But, you know, people will notice as an adult something's going on that may not merit uh, necessarily psychotherapy or psychiatry. And they, you know, thumb through self-help books and if it's been written in the past 10 years you can't get to the final page without some form of recommendation of mindfulness and so that's most of those people the general term used these days is stress reduction but stress usually meaning something much wider uh, than as we typically 
relate with that word. So it, it, it can just be any physical or mental ailment. Um, mindfulness can be good. I mean, there, there are some that you really sh- ought to be going to a psychiatrist or psychotherapist for, um, and you maybe using mindfulness in conjunction. So I'm not trying to say this is some, you know, catch all silver bullet for everything. Uh, but it's, it is quite helpful for generalized stress reduction. Okay. Yeah. And everyone, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's actually a weird thing. It's probably a, a slightly off topic, but I really wanted to mention this, uh, mindfulness or it's, it's parent concept would be called non-duality. It's our earliest scriptures are called the Vedas, uh, coming from India and the Indus river Valley and even the earliest forms of writing and all of these concepts of non-duality are housed within religious traditions throughout many years, many, many years. And, you know, they weren't going, you know, ardents and participants weren't coming for stress reduction. Mm -hmm. They were coming for spiritual enlightenment, for self-actualization. This is the real big picture. This is the long game of mindfulness. The reason our modern world is used to mindfulness and associated with stress reduction is because science came along. And when we started studying these non-dual or mindfulness principles, scientifically, we're like, whoa, <laughs> this is really effective this is on things that we've been having trouble with in the past. You know, m- medicine isn't helping with this or that. And, and so once science validated mindfulness, it became um, an intervention, a mental health or physical health intervention. And so that's just how we understand it and become introduced to it. But I just, for any of those that might be interested in the long game or the long haul, it's been preserved and is one of the earliest jewels of uh, spiritual enlightenment. I love it. All right. <laughs> um, it is. It's been a beautiful part of my life. And yeah, I just, I hope that especially those who are listening, who have gone through similar things as I have, not everyone who listens has, that they can hopefully adopt something in their life that helps them to start to separate that voice in their head, to be mindful, to find acceptance of being a human. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the human club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that feels like so that. good to be able to say, I'm just you. like, this is the human club and we're all part of it. But, you know, I know you and I were raised in similar, um, cultural religious, uh, places where there's a lot of, um, pressure and narratives that come with that, that don't often put us in a place of, um, good health, right. Good mental health. Yeah. And so for me to zoom out and to start to notice those things and to learn how to be boundaried, to learn to take care of myself and to reconnect with a higher power in my own way Mm -hmm. has been a really big part of this journey for me. Me And that, that doesn't mean you have to leave a religion. Uh, it just is that mindfulness to live the life that you want 
connecting in the way that you want rather than pushing buttons. <laughs> you know, I feel like I was pushing a lot of easy buttons and just mindless. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it does, it feels self-empowering. Yes. You, you get to like sort of rather than having an externalized uh, moral compass, mindfulness mm -hmm. is an invitation to re-internalize and find your own light. Um, and it, it, if the word mindfulness just feels foreign, it's not sticking for the any listeners, I would call this, uh, I would throw out a few synonyms that have felt true to me. Um, but the, the most important being love or loving kindness, this sort of generalized, you know, starting maybe with yourself, this unconditional acceptance for where you're at, who you are, uh, this wisdom in, in action. And then, you know, for those around you and even the world and existence itself, it feels uh, like a loving path. Mm -hmm. and that's true for me. Yeah, I love that. And that's really, that's the whole uh, bag where I say, I didn't realize that mindfulness was playing a role in the way that I found self-love and self-care and boundaries, right. and healing, all these things. It played a major role, but I wasn't identifying it. Mm -hmm. And so this is a missing link for a lot of um, those who are maybe in my path and maybe two steps behind, but are right there being the Buffalo and saying, Hey, I'm working my way through this. Mm -hmm. um, try it out. So yeah, where can they find an MBSR class if they're interested? Yeah, well, COVID tossed a wrench. These are all live classes. So um, now doing Google searches, you'll find a lot of MBSR classes online, which is cool. They're, they're starting to come back. Um, but I mean, type in the acronym is Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, MBSR. So MBSR and then your area of the world, and likely you'll find something pop up. If not uh, local, then probably online. Okay. It's a great course, eight weeks. Um, it's really, it, it's the gold standard for mindfulness initial education. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Dallin, and sharing your wisdom. You're so welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here with me today, whether I was with you doing your dishes while you got ready or driving in your car. If you found a nugget in this episode, please take 30 seconds. You can click on the link below in the show notes and leave me a quick review over on iTunes, or you can share on social media or shoot me an email. It offers me your support without you having to spend a dime or much of your time. Until next time, be the Buffalo. Buffalo.